Hi everyone, welcome to the channel. Today I have Ashwin with me. Ashwin is a crypto investor at Dragonfly Capital, a global crypto venture fund with offices in the US and China. Previously, Ashwin was a core engineer and researcher at Thundercore, where he worked on the design and implementation of the POS consensus module. Before this, Ashwin was a student at Duke University, where he studied computer science and performed research on distributed systems and computational biology. So hi, Ashwin, it's great to have you here. Um, and uh, I'd I, I like you to start off by actually uh, telling, us, telling us how you broke into the crypto VC industry and how you actually also got into crypto. Sure, yeah, Thank, thanks for having me, Arnav. It's, it's great to be here. Um, so yeah, to, I guess to answer your first question, um, so I got interested in cryptocurrencies uh, relatively uh, early on. So when I was uh, in high school, um, I sort of first read the Gawker article about the Silk Road. Um, that it was really interesting, uh, was really interesting in sort of this idea that there could be sort of dark net marketplaces that exist um, and you'd be able to interact with the monetary asset, which is uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, fiat currency would be untrackable and untraceable. So I got interested in that, started playing around with privacy technology. Um, at the time, I wasn't really uh, sort of that deep into computer science. So I didn't understand sort of all the inner machinations of Bitcoin, but started buying some on, uh, you know, sort of Bitcoin ATMs and just sort of experimenting around uh, with different wallet services. Um, so it actually wasn't until uh, I was a student at Duke um, where I got introduced to Ethereum, I guess, in early 2016 by one of my friends um, at the university who actually uh, ended up co-founding a group known as Tetras Capital, um, which famously published the Ether Short Thesis, I guess, in uh, 2017. Um, and that's when I really started doing more research, getting more involved with the research work that was going on at Duke um, and, and getting more involved with, uh, with the Ethereum community. Um, after I graduated from Duke, uh, I guess, like you said, I joined Thundercore. Um, I knew I wanted to work on layer one blockchains. So uh, this seemed like a reasonable bet to, to sort of solve Ethereum scalability woes as we're seeing uh, more exacerbated today. Um, so I worked there for about a, a month and a year, a year and a month, um, specifically working with uh, Professor Elaine Shi on the core consensus code um, and, and research there. Um, and then after that, after I left, so I decided to leave after it sort of was clear that attracting a developer community was gonna be extremely difficult. Um, and there were sort of some other uh, internal problems um, that, we, that the company was facing. Um, so I decided to leave. I, I had really no idea what I wanted to do. Um, started just going to hackathons, uh, messing around with things. I actually built um, sort of a, a, a multi-like arbitrage bot at the DeFi hackathon last year. Um, just sort of experimenting with ideas. Before I decided to start talking to some of the uh, uh, folks in the venture community that I, that I knew, ended up meeting with Asib. He was looking for someone uh, from Dragonfly, um, he was looking for someone that uh, you know was really deep technically, really enjoyed doing research, but also was interested in learning more about venture, and sort of ended up uh, being a great fit. And so I decided to join him, and it's been about eight months since I joined Dragonfly. Cool. Uh, so coming to Dragonfly, like, what's your investment thesis? Like, what sort of projects are you investing in? Um, I think Dragonfly is is a pretty renowned name in the crypto space. Um, but still, like I think, and, and looking at your portfolio, I see tokens, I see uh, some protocol like chains, uh, as well as some revenue projects. Like, so what's what's your investment thesis, and what sort of projects are you investing in? Yeah, so Dragonfly, um, as you as you sort of said, is a global crypto venture fund. So we invest really across the board. So we have our portfolio consists of centralized finance projects, um, including you know centralized exchanges such as Bybit, um, all the way across the spectrum to layer one projects like Space Mesh. Um, and Oasis Labs to, uh, to DeFi projects um, like Umas, you know, um, Open, uh, Derivatex, et cetera. So we're, uh, our thesis kind of ranges uh, across the entire crypto spectrum. 
Uh, my focus is specifically on scalability. So layer twos, um, interesting new layer one projects, uh, privacy plays, um, or DeFi applications. Um, and we invest both in equity and tokens. Um, I can go a little bit more into our DeFi thesis specifically because it's kind of been what's hot right now and obviously what we've been focused on uh, the, sure. past, the past eight months. Um, sure. So DeFi specifically, the two uh, main focuses, I guess, um, in the exchange space have been for been specifically on aggregation and derivatives. So recently, um, I guess, we just announced yesterday, actually, we did an investment in OneInch, which is a sort of DeFi aggregator, um, aggregates uh, um, all DeFi liquidity um, through sort of one user interface. It gives basically the best quotes and prices and allows people to exchange assets, you know, uh, relatively seamlessly. Um, the other uh, play that we think is, is going to emerge in, in decentralized finance is derivatives. Um, so we invested in open um, because we think options are potentially, the growth of the options market is something that we're going to see um, overwhelmingly over the, over the next six months to year, um, as well as um, perpetual futures. So as you know, uh, centralized exchanges, uh, centralized derivative exchanges, um, the highest volume product by far is, is perpetual futures. Um, and we think that's going to translate almost directly over uh, to, to the decentralized exchange market um, as uh, regulatory restrictions sort of pick up um, and, tr and traders are become more aware of, uh, um, of of how great these instruments are to get leverage. Okay, okay. So what's, when, when you started, did the thesis, has the thesis changed since when you started and now like, I think in 2017 and those times, everyone was just investing mostly in tokens or exchanges. So now I think you have sort of, uh, now you have a broader uh, perspective on, on your thesis, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think um, it's evolved drastically, right? Actually, Dragonfly initially, to give you some history, started as a fund of funds. Um, so we were primarily investing, but when it was, you know, before I joined, before Haseeb joined, um, Dragonfly was initially investing in um, other, other crypto venture funds that we thought uh, had, had good exposure to the space. So that's included Polychain, um, Scalar, Multicoin, um, Metastable, et cetera. And it sort of evolved over time as we started seeing the growth of the centralized exchange market. We started investing in centralized exchanges. Um, then we moved into obviously new layer ones as people saw Ethereum's inability to scale, I guess, with CryptoKitties in 2018. Um, and then from there, it sort of evolved completely to focus on more of the application layer. So uh, layer twos plus de decentralized uh, DeFi um, and decentralized applications. Okay, okay. Um, so right now, what, what are some exciting things that you're looking at? I think uh, we have Yam. I, I, I'm sure you've <laughs> have seen that uh, and yield farming. That is all the hype. And of uh, obviously that's, I think all that is like community driven sort of projects people aren't taking any investments uh, as such for those yield farming projects. But overall, uh, you, you are looking at DeFi and like what's, what's the current trend that you're saying and uh, yeah, for, for the say next six months or a year or so, what sort of projects you feel are going to kick off? Mm -hmm. So I think... The current state of DeFi is, is hard to tell because it's, it's a bit of a mania. Um, so uh, everything that we've seen is like massively inflated token valuations. For example, Serum launched, uh, you know, their token sale yesterday. It 11x in like 30 minutes. It's now valued at 18 billion dollars, fully fully diluted. Um, Yam obviously with over 450 million uh, in, in sort of locked up value um, right now. It's with unaudited contracts. It's completely insane. Um, but I mean, we we remain optimistic on, on the future of DeFi, right? I mean, I think right now, uh, obviously, if you the valuations are inflated, it's a great time to buy things early. Um, but we've been investing uh, in the space for a while. The one things we're some of the things we're really excited about are, are sort of the launch of new governance tokens. So things like Curve uh, Finance, which should be released fairly soon. Um, one Inch is is obviously doing a, a token model. 
which we're excited about for the future. Um, and then Open V2 is also probably going to be coming out sometime um, next year um, that we're really excited for for for, um, for them to launch a more governance structure uh, or, yeah, developed governance structure plus a yield farming element. I mean, I think um, we, we so when COP initially launched, we were really excited to see uh, them move sort of following the progressive decentralization playbook of starting as a centralized company and then decentralizing over time. Um, I think as soon as comp launched, it sort of set off this mania where people were like, hey, you know, this comp token has no value really assigned to it uh, naturally. Basically, it's not in the entitlement to future cash flows or dividends or anything. But it's kind of a open playbook for token holders to decide what to do with the protocol in the future. And so I think another thing we're really excited about is to see how these open protocols actually develop over time because, um, because there's sort of no playbook open and no one really knows what's going to happen. But the possibilities are really endless. Um, you know, comp as it exists today doesn't really do much other than uh, allow you to basically change the protocol. But eventually you can imagine this thing as an interest bearing or uh, entitlement to cash flows or uh, the interest um, that's been earned on, on, the, on the lending market. Um, and so we're really excited to see these governance models develop in the future. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I saw, saw your blog post on uh, decentralized governance imitation or in, uh, innovation. Yeah, I read, I read right. that uh, and you sort of explain um how the current like the current world we have ipos and we have uh, you know how the governance works there so yeah like if, if you can start off uh i think sum it up in two three minutes that blog post again i think that would be also uh, valuable for people who are sort of interested in um looking at the governance space I, I really found the article to be really good yeah awesome yeah so i think the main purpose of that article was to point out what we what i perceived is um kind of a uh, aura of innovation where that actually doesn't really exist in the space. Um, so, you know, I think while I think governance tokens and the release of uh, these sort of yield farming elements are really useful tools to attract users to the protocol, get initial liquidity, attract sort of stickier liquidity uh, to, to the protocols. Um, I don't think necessarily that they're very innovative. And so the reason that I outlined, I guess, in the post is um, I basically went, walked through and compared um, all the current governance mechanisms. So whether you call it maker, where you can buy sort of these governance tokens on a liquid marketplace, very similar to, to sort of shares in a corporation. Um, or if you look at Compound, um, you know, same sort of idea, you can buy this token on a liquid marketplace. The shares are distributed to, to users of the protocol, which kind of mirrors uh, what's called a worker cooperative or consumer cooperative in, in traditional um, sort of business. Um, but basically walk through all these different elements and compare them all to, to sort of their counterparts, which exist in the centralized world, and then sort of compare and contrast um, the differences. And at the end of the article, what, what I sort of point out is that um, there actually are not that many differences between what currently exists in uh, the centralized world and what, it, what it, the governance tokens as they exist in the decentralized world today. And the main idea here was basically not to shit on any of the tokens uh, which are launching today, but to just kind of point out that right now, as the governance space exists, it's not really, it's hard to categorize it as innovation, at least in my eyes. It's easier to categorize it as a translation um, of you know centralized systems onto decentralized substrates being blockchains, but um, I'm really excited to hopefully see some innovation in the future. But I still believe right now that uh, we're more in the imitation phase uh, than, than the innovation phase. So that was kind of the point of the blog post. Okay, okay, gotcha. Um, so apart from DeFi and like you know these things, like are you sort of investing and looking at projects that increase usability of crypto, like say? Uh, yeah, get get us to the next stage in in adoption. Um, like, what what sort of projects are you seeing there? 
um, maybe some interesting wallets or key management solutions or yeah some interesting projects or what's what what what's, what are you seeing in in that space uh, that that sort of brings the next generation of people uh, into crypto mm-hmm. yeah it's a good question i mean we definitely look at wallet services so for example um obviously you know i think uh, one of my colleagues wrote a wrote a twitter post about how metamask um, is just like hasn't really evolved or hasn't really changed in two years and i think it's you know pretty spot on right if you look at metamask today um, it's pretty difficult for the average retail user to to get started with using. Um, you know, you have these really uh, difficult to sort of uh, interact with hex characters that are going to throw a lot of people off. Um, and you still, you know, it takes time to sort of interact with tokens and and get used to signing and confirming transactions. And this will, you know, obviously gas price auctions are a terrible UX experience for users who can't get their transactions confirmed. So I think MetaMask still has a long way to go. Um, but I think one thing that we've been excited about is sort of the proliferation of mobile wallet services that serve as sort of top of the funnel um, ways for users, uh, whether they be retail or otherwise, to access DeFi applications. So things like Argent Wallet, um, which is one that we looked at, we, we you know obviously didn't invest in it, um, but it was um, you know offers a great platform for people to start interacting with crypto, gives them a fiat on ramp, um, and and allows them to start interacting with DeFi products within the application, which I think is a great user experience. Um, I think our main concern around investing in a lot of these projects was sort of the lack of differentiation. So I think we saw what we've seen is, you know, we have IAM Token, which is doing really well sort of in, in the East. We have Argent, um, which is doing, you know, pretty well uh, in, in the West. Um, but we haven't really seen a lot of differentiation between the products and protocols. They're largely really similar. Um, but I think there still remains a lot of problems that need to be solved. For, for example, um, fiat on-ramps, as you mentioned, um, it's still really expensive. Uh, it's not a great user experience. You still have to import, you know, sort of import your debit card into these wallet services um, to actually buy Ether. You're going to buy it at premium. Um, and even if they abstract and pay for your gas costs, as, as sort of Argent does, um, it's still not a great user experience to be waiting for, uh, you know, at this point, 10 minutes if, you're, uh, if your transaction is not going to get confirmed on the Ethereum blockchain due to congestion. Um, but I don't know. I think, I, I think they serve as, as useful tools, and I think they still have a long way to go before we can actually... Um, we actually call them good enough to bring on uh, sort of mainstream users. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I think uh, as Ethereum scales and other chains also, you know, uh, may, may get some adoption. Um, yeah, then the, some of the problems get solved. And as we have better UX, um, that solves, yeah, that, that again multiplies and gives a better experience. Um, mm-hmm. So what, and also like, as you mentioned that you, are, you there are some projects that are in the East that are popular in the, uh, Western world, like in, in general, like what sort of uh, projects are you investing in, like in terms of geography? Um, mm-hmm. And I think crypto is quite distributed, but still, um, the, the, yeah, the, there's some, I think, uh, like many of the, most of the innovation is still, I would say, happening in the Western world or uh, mm-hmm. wh- where do you see, yeah, wh- what sort of geographical trends do you see in, in crypto currently? Yeah, it's a good question. Um so in terms of innovation, I think you're absolutely right. So I think in terms of like the innovation that we've seen, especially sort of in the DeFi landscape, it's, it's largely happening in the West. So um, most of the sort of innovative uh, new ideas, I think, are, are really coming from the West in terms of lending, borrowing, uh, interest rate swap protocols, um, all kinds of new designs and mechanisms um, are mostly, uh, at least it seems like, coming from the West still. Um, but the funny thing is with a lot of these protocols is that we're seeing most of the adoption actually take place in the East. 
So Chinese users um, love obviously using DeFi. They love you know getting exposure away from the RMB um, and moving into into sort of Ethereum, Bitcoin, and the DeFi landscape. Um, and obviously protocols like DeForce, while they're not maybe particularly innovative, they're offering new things now like synthetics, um, and they're uh, you know offering Chinese users a, a sort of native service, um, which I think the localization element of an application actually helps um, helps them actually attract that user base um, in the in the east. So I think it is. As a broad, like as a broad trend, at least right now, um, I think we're like like we're saying, like most of the innovation is still happening in the West. I do think that this can flip, though. Um, I think recently we've seen more projects that are innovating in the East, especially um, as uh, these sort of like crypto native, more and more of these crypto native teams start to develop in the East. Um, so, for example, we we saw a team that used to work at DX, which is a decentralized exchange that exists um, in China. Um, sort of like very crypto native have, have worked in, in, in the industry for a while, but they're sort of starting to innovate on, on new ideas, uh, whether it be for an AMM solution or, um, you know, privacy solutions or, or things like this. So I think as a community sort of grows and evolves in the East, we'll start to see more innovation. But I think for right now, it's, it's pretty uh, innovation constrained to the West with a lot of the adoption taking place in the East. Yeah, I think from the user side of things, like uh, if, if you look at say, India or China, the innovation that has taken place in the fintech, like consumer fintech side of things is, is quite high here. And like, I think that mm-hmm. might be the reason that we see adoption of these things as well. Uh, you know, people in India, for example, don't have debit cards and credit cards, but they're still, you know, uh, tra- now they have started interacting with uh, banking services. Um, yeah. Also, I had one, like I, I actually open sourced some of the questions to a couple of my founder friends. Uh, and one question was that, uh, what, where, like, where should they register the company? Like, uh, in terms of, uh, do, do VCs look at that? Uh, like, say if someone wants, is registering in Malta or Estonia, um, mm-hmm. I, I, are crypto VCs or uh, maybe you can speak specifically for Dragonfly. Um, yeah. What? Does does that play into account, or are you guys open? Uh, like, yeah, are you open for people registering in, say, a crypto-friendly country, but that might not have a very lo- good uh, legislative system? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it largely depends um, on the company, on the background of the founder, um, where they sort of have citizenship. Um, and I think um, we actually don't really care that much. So I think obviously depending on um, what the company actually does, for example, if it's another, if it's like sort of a BitMEX competitor, you want to obviously uh, have have uh, basically be, be able to offer your product anywhere, but you want it to be, have sort of favorable laws, right? So that you don't necessarily um, have to report what you're doing with your balance sheet um, and and still be able to offer the product and service to whatever jurisdiction you want while also having favorable tax laws. So I think it actually just depends on what you're doing um, and, and so where, where it fits in the ecosystem. Um, I don't think that we necessarily have a preference either way. Um, you know, we're, we're a Cayman-based fund, so we, we, we can invest across the board wherever, um, wherever the company's actually incorporated or located. I think it largely just depends on what, what, you're, what you're doing. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I think some of the VCs, they're like, no, we want to invest in, say, a US or Singapore-based uh, registered company. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, anyways, uh, like, and also in terms of accelerators and uh, and I think the, there's a lot of uh, in, in the 2017, 18 time or 16, 17, 18 time frame we had many crypto VC funds that actually now closed down. Um, mm-hmm. And I think now there are still many VC funds, crypto VC funds, but I don't see many uh, early stage like accelerators like specifically for crypto. There are a couple of 
uh, there are a couple of uh, i think outlier ventures is one then there is um, uh, in canada there's uh, I, there's one uh, with university of toronto cdl uh, then a couple of others as well but have you seen that space involve evolve like early stage capital is is that uh, is, is has there been some more uh, like investments towards like early stage founders and stuff yeah i think since 2017 uh, the trend has sort of shifted towards seed and, and series a so i think seed and series a has gotten a lot more competitive especially for the very early stages because frankly i think uh, given the nascency of the crypto industry there aren't that many projects really that are at the series b c and above stage right i mean it's it's really a handful and so if you're a large fund and you need to deploy more capital it makes a lot of sense but the, the number of products that have actually made it to that stage, given that the industry has really only been around, DeFi specifically has only really been around for, you know, like a year and a half, yeah. two years now. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really. So I think there has actually been uh, significantly um, more funds emerging for the seed, seed and Series A stage, whether it's investing in a white paper and two people, um, free product, or whether it's investing in like a very early stage product. Um, so it's gotten a lot more competitive, at least for, for sort of winning deals. Um, but... Um, but yeah, I think the later stage game still remains kind of uh, up for grabs because no one's really uh, no one's really emerged because frankly there aren't really that many companies um, that have hit that stage yet. Yeah, there there and yeah, I think there aren't many new users coming as well um, since you know 2017, 18. Uh, but yeah. but but like how how do you see how do you, when you look at say the crypto VC ecosystem, how do you compare to the like normal VC ecosystem? Like what? Uh, are there some differences or it's just like everything is same? Um, I think there's mm-hmm. a lot more influence of Twitter and everything is like sort of democratized. Uh, uh, right. But yeah, like, how, how, yeah. How, how do you compare these two ecosystems? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's very different. Like you're saying, I mean, I think um, with traditional VC um, it's, there's a lot to so say if you're, you're sort of a SaaS based, you know, you're investing primarily in SaaS products. Um, I think as uh, if you're a VC that's doing that, you're probably you sort of have a defined playbook. You have um, sort of all of these definitions of, of uh, things you're looking for, whether it be the early stages, uh, mid stage or late stage, um, because it's sort of defined. It, it's well known sort of what the what, what needs to happen, what you're looking for. I mean, it's very easy to sort of pattern match based off previous successes. And with this industry, there's really nothing to pattern match based off uh, off of. Right. I mean, it's like. You could say that Yam, I mean, Yams are not going to do well, and yet Yam has 450 million locked in their protocol after three days. Um, so it's very difficult to sort of pattern match to what might be successful in the future. So I think based off that alone, it's um, it's it's difficult to tell. Um, and and that's, that's a big separator between traditional VCs and crypto VCs. I think another one is that um, crypto is kind of global, right? And if, you're, if, you're, if it's a global industry, um, by its very nature, it's not going to be sort of centered in Silicon Valley. And you need to be aware of things that are happening outside of Silicon Valley, especially if you want to participate in those in those deals, right? I mean, a lot of the best companies we've seen, Maker, for example, is like headquartered half in uh, in Switzerland, I believe. I could be wrong about that, but it's headquartered somewhere in Europe. Um, so um, I think that's another thing that that plays a big part. And obviously, Twitter is a big influence because of that, because that's how people get the word out, right, about their new projects, um, protocols that they're working on, and and where they're uh, where they're working on them. Um, I think another big thing is that um, you actually, with traditional VC, typically um, you're looking to make an investment and you're going to be locked up for five to seven years until there's an exit opportunity, right? Um, I think with crypto, it's very different, right? Because as we're seeing with things like Compound, um, you achieve liquidity within two years of your investment. And uh, while you still may have a lockup for a couple of years, 
um, you need to decide what you want to do with those funds, right? So you have to be a little bit more active with your management of your portfolio, whether it's rebalancing um, or moving to other funds. Um, and, and, and all early stage investments, you also have to be aware of whether they're equity or tokens, because if you get um, tokens, um, then you need to be um, ready to custody them. You need to be ready uh, and prepared to look at market prices more often. And so I think there's a lot of elements with VC that sort of blend with um, traditional hedge funds in, in that sense, because you have to sort of be aware of the market movements, um, trading movements, um, things that are occurring in the liquid markets, as well as things that are happening sort of in the private market sector. Um, yeah, I think that answers it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, for for I think yeah, crypto funds as well. Like, what what? Uh, how do you get like? How do people reach out to you? Like in general, like for say normal VCs, what what people look at is say founder background. They say okay, did they work at Google or Facebook? Um, right. And if someone you know gets gets them a meeting, a partner gets them a meeting, and then. Uh, yeah, the, for for early stage specifically, um, and then right. they look at some you know a, a starting off a product market fit, uh, and and some initial users. Um, but yeah, in general for crypto, what what do you look at like, uh, and how do you mostly get your deals? Is it? Yeah, so I think founder ba- like to touch specifically on founder background first. I think um, it matters a lot less, right? So I think. A lot of the successful founders we've seen, for example, take any of the, um, take like Synthetics, for example, founders are from Australia, um, take Ave, for example, uh, the found, like, you know, it's based sort of in Finland, um, or take, you know, uh, take One Inch, for example, um, kind of like Russian hackers who are building this project. Um, so I think founder background doesn't really matter as much, um, to be quite honest. I mean, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of what we're looking for is more like, does the team understand crypto? And and usually if you're crypto native and you understand crypto really well, you don't have this sort of high pedigree background because you've been hacking away on your computer or like, you know, trading these active markets for years. Um, and I think that's one thing that's actually really cool because it's kind of a democratization force. You know, it's very easy to tell um, if someone comes from a background of Facebook that they don't understand Bitcoin, Ethereum, or really crypto at all, um, as opposed to someone who's been sort of immersed in the ecosystem for years. Um, I think your other point was on um, sort of how do I, how do we get deals? How do we source deals? I think um, it's quite interesting because there are a lot of different ways to source deals. I mean, I think we use uh, Twitter pretty extensively to try to look through um, what's actually happening, what are new products that are launching, what are what's sort of gaining traction. Um, another thing is just sort of using traditional VCs, so traditional VC networks. So we usually um, we'll see deals from other other funds that will send them send them over to us or, or otherwise. I mean, another big part of it is, is being active on research, right? So publishing medium posts, um, publishing uh, active Twitter comments, um, and just being involved with the community that gives you um, sort of uh, natural organic people that reach out to you when they're working on a project to try to talk to you about um, potentially raising money for that project if they really like your medium posts or you've been active in the community. So those are kind of the main three ways. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, I think traditional VCs, uh, yeah, when they when they're investing, there's a lot of collusion as well, uh, because you know they are all based in SF, uh, and then uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's how sort of if you, if you read the early history of VCs, like that's how they sort of started. Uh, but anyways, uh, that's that's I think not that much in crypto because everyone is distributed and you you sort of source deals from like online, uh, maybe right. people, yeah, people and especially now um, during COVID. Also, right. uh, I think you let's, I also wanted to talk about a couple of your other blog posts that you've written about, uh, which was sure. on, 
the death of plasma and now uh, discussion overall on I actually read all your blog posts. I highly recommend others as well to check out Ashwin's uh, articles. Um, on, on the death of plasma, you discussed the overall uh, layer two ecosystem. And I think now uh, we are looking at optimist, optimistic rollups. And there's, uh, I think, diversify also. That is mm-hmm. ZK rollups. Um, so yeah, like what, what's, what, how do you see the current layer two ecosystem involving, evolving some interesting projects you have seen? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think sort of uh, to, to, to reiterate my post, I think um, I kind of sort of called the death of plasma. Um, you know, I'm welcome to if, if you want to debate me on Twitter about this. Happy to talk to anyone who wants to who wants to try to debate me because I think uh, it's still an interesting point. Um, so in terms of interesting layer two projects, I think um, as we're seeing right now, I mean, the gas prices are over 200. Um, it's the Ethereum is essentially completely fogged, and we need to have sort of a scalability solution that exists. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that I, you know, even even given my post, I think that layer twos are still really in the early stages. Um, most of the layer twos that we've seen launched today are kind of like Loopring, Diversify, ZK Sync through Matter Labs. Um, then you have Optimism with Optimistic Rollups coming out soon, Fuel Labs, which is another uh, layer two solution, um, and then State Channel Solutions, and then um, sort of other layer ones, which want to act as layer twos. Um, so I think the, the ecosystem still has a long way to evolve. So, I mean, rollups obviously I think are a great move forward because they um, allow for tremendous scalability potentially with smart contract support. So you're going to get almost native smart contract support through optimistic rollups initially upon launch. Um, with ZK rollups, it's going to take a little bit more work. Um, I think, you know, Matter is working really hard on this to try to get uh, ZK Sync to support generalized smart contracts. Um, but obviously it's going to be a different programming language than Solidity. So I think it's really going to be interesting to see. I think right now they're really in the early stages because we've seen, despite sort of the, the clogginess of Ethereum, um, we haven't really seen that much adoption in the layer two landscape yet. Um, but I think it's something that's, that's definitely coming. And I think um, as, as these uh, solutions become more and more apparent um, and obvious, um, both in terms of uh, how cheap they will be to interact with, but also with the flexibility and ease of use, meaning that you would be able to deploy smart contracts and interact with them just like the Ethereum main chain. It'll be interesting. Um, one of my fears, though, is that um, is that you lose sort of uh, the DeFi Lego support. So when you uh, launch a layer two and you deploy on a layer two, um, you sort of lose this interoperability element that comes with uh, DeFi, right? So you can't necessarily have composability or atomicity through the flash loan because um, by, by definition, your, your contract calls are now going to be asynchronous across um, across a layer two. So I think that's sort of like some, there, there's still sort of a lot of unsolved problems which exist um, between layer ones and layer twos, but I'm excited to see it evolve. Really excited for rollups. I think they still have a long way to go, but I think that that space should really start start to shake out in the next six to eight months. Um, another thing I'm really excited about is, is sort of new layer ones that are bootstrapping themselves on Ethereum. So what I mean by that is things like Solana um, launching with Serum, basically using Ethereum to bootstrap their user growth um, and then providing an easy bridge for people to start using Solana. Um, Near also is another uh, team that's really actively working on developing this or developing this idea out. And I think, uh, you know, if anyone's interested, like you should go check out the Reddit sort of scaling bake-off competition, which is Reddit's sort of competition for layer twos. Um, they uh, have sort of a really comprehensive list of layer twos and you can go check out and see which ones you think are interesting. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay, um, I think that we did cover quite a lot. Um, what, what advice would you give for, say, founders who are building in the space uh, in terms of, yeah, what, what interest like how do you how do you they reach out to VCs? What sort of funding approach they should take? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think um, 
for, for most founders, if you, uh, depends on, I guess, the stage you're at, if you're just uh, sort of tinkering around with ideas, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or uh, anybody on my team uh, via Twitter or Telegram. I, I, I can sort of send you my, um, my email as well. Um, and we're happy to talk through any ideas uh, that you guys are working on. Um, I think the, the big thing is that if you think about funding, um, you should be prepared with at least some sort of thesis around what you're building and why, um, and have, have a sort of a reasoning for a long-term uh, strategic standpoint. Um, if you're just sort of building a, a project or protocol that you, uh, that you're sort of a hot, it's a hobby product that you're interested in. I think we maybe be, would maybe be interested in it depending on uh, the quality of the work, but, um, uh, largely we're interested in, um, if you have some sort of technical white paper or analysis that sort of describes how the protocol you're wanting to design works, even if you're pre-product, we're happy to take a look at it. Um, and also if you're looking to raise funding, um, please feel free to engage me or anyone else. Uh, and we happy to take a look at a deck or any other materials. Um, but I think sort of the fundraising environment is pretty hot right now. So I think um, if you're a DeFi product looking to raise money in the space, I would say if you're a founder, you should go go ahead and try to raise money because there's never really been a hotter environment than now. Um, and most de most funds are sort of looking to actively deploy more capital in DeFi. Um, if you're in other sectors, I would maybe wait because DeFi is sort of the hottest sector right now. Um, but um, obviously, we're open to looking at any any sort of uh, any sort of sector. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ashwin, for taking the time out. And uh, yeah, hope hope to see more of your articles. And I think overall Dragonfly team, Haseeb, uh, obviously writes great articles. And everyone, uh, yeah, all, all of your teams, Tom, all of your team members, Tom also, I think, I read his articles as well. So yeah, I, I, I wish you the best uh, in the future and hope you make good bets in the DeFi space and <laughs> overall um, crypto space. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Arnav. This was great.